It's the My Michelle Live podcast. Looking for the God story and news of the day. My Michelle Live news and views. Here's Michelle. Hey, welcome to News and Views Thursday today. The news is rife with disturbing images, restless angst, senseless violence, anarchist rioting. What if I could point out to you that behind the headlines is an issue that ties it all together? What if I could show you one problem that we seem to ignore, one truth that we leave in the background that leaves chaos in its wake? And what if I could do that with a trusted, beloved friend and a view from Jerusalem? And now, a view from Jerusalem with Rabbi Adlerstein. Rabbi Yitzhak Adlerstein is the Director of Interfaith Affairs at the Simon Wiesenthal Center and a founder and contributor to Cross Currents and a dear friend of my Michelle Lives uh, podcast. Rabbi, welcome to the conversation today. Thanks, Michelle. Great to have you back in the country. And great to have you back on the show. Yeah, for those who uh, don't know, I was in the British Virgin Islands, and it was beautiful. And it was actually an interesting backdrop, Rabbi, to a very big issue. And a light came on for me. As I was taking a ferry to uh, Baths, one of the most beautiful places I've ever been on the planet, they were showing news stories of the leaked Roe v. Way opinion from SCOTUS. They were showing the riots. They were showing uh, destruction. They were showing the anger. And it was a strange place to be juxtaposed with this beautiful, serene creation of nature. And I realized that it was so far removed from the beauty of creation, from the appreciation of life that the issue of life and being created in God's image really does have a profound effect on every other area of life and news and issues of the day. And I have a feeling that some of what we're going to be talking about tonight actually exposes what that, that bottom line is that some people are passionate about about pursuing. It is interesting. We had a very uh, heart-wrenching and disturbing issue, and there's always heart-wrenching and disturbing issues almost daily. But when it concerns children, especially in the wake of 19 students, two adults being killed in the deadliest shooting in, in, in a decade, it, it's heart-wrenching. The fact that we are so callous about life may actually come down to the mindset that we see played out in the headlines in the wake of protests over the Roe v. Wade leak. And I'm talking specifically about Jane's revenge. They took responsibility for firebombing and the vandalization of a Madison, Wisconsin pro-life nonprofit, which I, I might be able to show some, some pictures if you're watching rather than just listening. There were also four churches in my home state of Washington State where they were targets of vandalism, spray painted with slogans like uh, abort the church or if abortions aren't safe, neither are you. Uh, and I would argue, Rabbi, that we have 
come to a place where life means nothing, whether it's in the womb or whether it's dealing with someone face to face. We've dehumanized the human race. Yeah, there's no question that we've been on a steady decline for quite a long time. But there's so much to unpack about the message that Jane's uh, revenge left. Now, they're, they're a small group, at least we hope they are. Uh, they, we've known about them for a while. But the sheer honesty of the message that they left, is it just sends chills down my spine. And at, at the same time, it, it got me scratching my head. Um, it, it's clear, and we'll, I, I imagine we're going to read some of this to our listeners out there, but th- these are, are women who, and perhaps men as well, who are passionate about what they see as the right to abortion, do not invoke any kind of right whatsoever to a, a fetus. And okay, that's an issue that's been plaguing America for quite a while, because even when Roe v. Wade was passed, they did not pass any judgment about the moral issue. They just skirted it and just came up with a new right in the number of the Constitution. But what gets me about this, if you're so passionate about giving women the right for an abortion, these women say, we're here in Washington, where the chances are, (laughs) that's putting it mildly, that there are not going to be any state restrictions on abortion in Washington state. All that the Alito draft that the upcoming possible decision by the Supreme Court means is that you return the right to the states. Okay, America split. Could be that there'll be 26 states that will pass some kind of restriction. The overwhelming majority will have restrictions that won't be all that onerous. And theoretically, it means that women at worst, we'll have to travel. And in case of many women, they won't know enough about how to do it. And people will help them do it. New York State has already allocated a huge fund to allow women to come in from out of state and have abortions there. But if what you're really concerned with is about these women who you feel should have access to abortions, then help women get abortions. But instead, in their message, you read about bringing down the system of the church, of the church. Listen, from the beginning, the church has sought to control and destroy every impulse toward pleasure and self-determination. I don't attend a church, and I, I've read all I've read all the descriptions of abuse and all of that. But most of the Christians that I know, the overwhelming majority, have a little problem every now and then, or major problem, but. As far as the church trying to deny them pleasure and self-determination, does that ring true to us? Does Listen to this line. These churches are terrified of people exercising bodily autonomy, whether aborting unwanted pregnancies or taking gender-affirming hormone surgery or bleep whomever we want. Think of that, bleep anyone we want. What does that tell you, Michelle? What is this really about? It's not about helping women primarily to get abortions. It's we don't want to be told that there are any restrictions on anything that we want to do. And it is so important to us that anybody who dares take a different position 
is a threat to our very being. We are rebels with a cause. The cause is not abortion. It's pure independence, autonomy, we would call an anarchy. Lawlessness. Think of that. It's celebrating that is, lawlessness. It, it, it should be so empowering to us instead of sitting back timidly and, oh, America's angry at us and we're swimming against the current. Think of what it means to reject that and understand that living a life with restrictions, if those restrictions come from a loving God, is the only way to live. And it is the way towards pleasure and self-determination rather than to be held captive to every impulse you have, whether you understand it or not, whether it's primitive or other, whether it's noble, of what the message is to us and, and how the, the mission that, that these women are on is something that should give us courage about what we have to do in return. It's not just abortion. It's not just sticking up for the most helpless and vulnerable out there. It's the entire notion of what it means to be a human being. And let's talk about what it means to be a human being under uh, differing worldviews. Their worldview breaks down very quickly. Uh, what is it that you want to do? Anything that I want no restrictions on anything that I feel will bring me pleasure. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean that, that Rabbi, if I don't like what you're saying, I should have the right to post-birth abort you, even though it's decades after your birth? I, where's the restriction? I don't like what you have to say. We've come to a place where we've said that words are violence now because we don't understand the difference between subjective and things that are subjective and things that are objective. We don't understand that anymore. We Our worldview matters because when your worldview doesn't line up, it gets mucky really quickly. There really is no right or wrong if there is not an ultimate source of right or wrong. So whatever I feel goes. But if what I feel means I take the life of somebody else, if what I feel means that I destroy the property of someone else, well, so be it. That's my bodily autonomy. Yeah, but you're underestimating this because that you, Michelle, boiling down to if I don't like you or I really think that you are horrible and, and a, a barrier to, to progress, we may have to, as you put it so well, post-birth abort you. But it's more than that. They are saying that we want to bring down the entire system, not just the individuals who get in our way, but the entire system has to change because everything is wrong with it. This whole system is all about, what do they call it? The rigid hierarchy of the family as the basic unit of control. The family is an invention of control of the human race. And we have to destroy the family. True. Rabbi, we have saw that with the Black Lives Matter movement based on trying to make a difference and to bring attention to unfair practices, which we should. This monolith, this organization with with 
leanings that would say, well, we need to bring down the family. We're against the traditional family. And you're going, what does that have to do with, in fact, how would that help black lives or any others? And so we see this idea that you mentioned that we just need to bring down the system. So my question to you is, and replace it with what? Replace it with with anarchy. These are not the first anarchists in history, and they won't and they won't be the last. But I, I want to point out a contrast with other people who shared some of these values, but had a completely different spirit. And those were the hippies of the 1960s. Mm. If anybody remembers back then, when dinosaurs still roamed the streets of America. 60s, there were lots and lots of people. They captured the imagination of a generation, even those who didn't go to their extreme, who didn't wind up in Haight-Ashbury. And, but, but they were there marching free love and sharing their joints. But they shared their music. <laughs> Some of the music was really good. <laughs> we were all into that. So we thought that, yeah, they're very much into themselves. And even though they seem to be on this universal peace mission, we realized that it couldn't work. It's not a way to keep society healthy, but they weren't destroying the system. They were saying, okay, this is the way I want to live. And I'm not going to give in to other people who expect me to put on a business suit and to operate within the system. I'm going to find myself and I'm going to, I'm going to smoke weed if I, if I have to, and it makes me feel good. And I share it with my neighbors. It's so different from what these women are saying. And my question to you, I'm being very Jewish to respond to a question with another question. (laughs) That's the way we operate, is so what's behind it? Why can't these women say, I believe that the world, that the churches, those evil churches, and of course they mean synagogues as well, even more, but they just, they're not enough of us out there yet to, to worry about us. These churches are so evil and they're taking away all pleasure from us. And as they say in the end, we're not asking for anything. We're not appealing to state power for an end to patriarchal violence. We're going to take it. Good. So take it. So you live in a state where abortions are illegal and Texas, which is not going to happen, Texas winds up with the most restrictive ordinances in the country. And you want to, and you live in Texas, or you want to help women in Texas, so do so. Why this, this passion to take down the system? If what you're after is that right for self-determination and to enjoy that pleasure, so go out there and do it, like hippies did in the 60s. Why this, where does this come from? I think that's a good question in that a lot of the dialogue in the 60s led to just that debate and dialogue, and that's what we need. But we are at a place where we don't want to dialogue. We don't want to talk about it. We don't want to find co-solutions. We want what we want. And I think it goes back to the rebellion against God. I don't want anything having to do with God. We see it in every area of academia. We see science that continues to reveal the intricacies of a designer, the fearfully and wonderfully made universe that interacts and and shows that there's programming uh, in 
our DNA beyond anything that we could imagine in the most advanced computer systems. But, but yet we have to deny it. We have to hold on to zombie science that has been disproven because the thought of God just gnaws at that sinful nature that we have fed into and we continue to feed into. We are at war. Not, and it's not a war with each other. It's not a war with the pro-lifers. It's not even a war with the church. I would submit that it's a war with God. It, it certainly is. It's with the very notion of God. They, they're trying like the Tower of Babel to go to the heavens and beat God over the head, which you can't do if you really believe in God. So there's always this idea they're campaigning against something they say they don't believe in. But I think when you scratch the surface, you're going, what we're really seeing is that people can't escape the notion that if they don't know God with certainty, they can't escape the fact that something so much suggests that there is a God and that he's a loving God and that he's control of the universe, that, that they're pushed to these extremes. But I'm going to add something to this, and you may get very angry at me. I'm glad we're thousands of miles away and you can't throw anything at me. And that is, in this email, I see something. I may be, like, drifting off to the left or becoming, or, or just totally naive. But there is something in this horrible screed that suggests something about the nobility of man and what it means to be born in the image of God. And that by that, I mean that they're not content with just taking the rights that they want. They seek an ideology behind it. If they don't seek ideology like people often did in the past because they needed rationalization against prevailing norms, the prevailing norms are on their side, but that human beings feel a need to be on the side of some big truth. That big truth may be, in, in God's opinion, a complete falsehood, but there is something noble about people not just doing what many people did in the past, what pagans did, what idolatry was all about, which was not ideological at all. It was all self-centered and selfish. There is ideology here. It's horrible ideology, but we shouldn't miss the fact ah. that the quest for meaning, for purpose, is hardwired in us. How disturbing that is, because what you're doing is saying to these very people who want to bring down the church and stand against anything that would be of a biblical worldview, stifling their own desire to do whatever they want, you're saying in that you're proving that there is a God because we were created in such a way that we want to be part of something. We are hungering for a truth, an ideology, something, a, a religion, if you will. We were hardwired to fill that void. And if you're not going to fill it with a biblical worldview, you will fill it with something. I think that's horribly disturbing to anyone who's watching, listening, or viewing that's as an agnostic or an atheistic point of view. I would even add to that that I've, I don't believe in the Easter bunny. 
I'm sorry if that disturbs any of our, our listeners or, or you if you have an Easter Bunny belief, Rabbi. I, I, I happen to know that you don't. We've talked about this, I think, before. But I don't go out of my way in angst and anger and protest to say, to prove to the world, by God, there is no Easter Bunny. Why is it that we must rail so hard against this God who they say they don't exist? In that, I would say... As Shakespeare said, the lady doth protest too much. If you really don't believe in something, you don't spend so much energy proving that it's wrong. You don't, we don't find massive organizations railing against the flat earth society. It, it, it is exactly as you say, people can, who cannot get away from the fact that in some, on some level, they can't really reject the idea of God. But unlike you, uh, not that we differ really that much, but I see something very positive in this as well. If people have this need for ideology, even people who say that my, my ideology is really comes from the pursuit of my own personal happiness, but then want to turn it into an ideology that, that says something to those of us who are believers about the nobility of the spirit, how that nobility can be perverted and subverted but it also means that we have to look at our neighbors differently. It means that there are people out there. It doesn't mean they're going to be open to it on every day, on, on every level. I'm not urging everybody to jump out of their seats and start knocking on doors with Bibles in their hands. That's not going to work for many people. Hmm. But we have to come up with more intelligent ways of being able to show people that nobility, that image of God that is there within them and ignite in those who still are in touch with it some way of, of, of responding to it with a connection to God. Why, Rabbi, are you suggesting that we not go down the path that we've seen in like this email and some of the railings of dehumanization and these are our enemy, but rather looking at these people as people who may disagree, who want to burn down churches and change the system as people who are trying in their own maybe warped way, if we could say, trying to do a good thing. And when we realize that, we realize they're not the enemy. They're just people who are seeking out truth. So maybe there's somebody that we can engage with, that we can love, that we can pray for and not demonize. Maybe that is the turnaround. The abortion issue to me has been a big one because I think that when we take human life at its most vulnerable state, Rabbi, I think that it does something to the, to the psyche of our society. There is a study that was done in prisons that showed that 90% of men in prisons had been privy or part of at least one or more abortion and that it hurt them. And many of the, them had said, if I'm supposed to protect this, my kids, instead I kill them. If I can kill my own kids, what do I care about hurting you, stealing from you? you this is almost indicative of what it's done to our psyche. However, behind that is this idea that we can hate people, that we can demonize people. And it doesn't matter if they're the 
pro-lifers or the pro-choicers or the pro-burn-down churchers, we demonize. And it's the same spirit, in my opinion, Rabbi, of hate, demonization, dehumanization. What you are talking about is a message that changes all of that narrative right here and right now and says, look, we are created in the image and the likeness of God. Life is precious. And the life of the person that burns down an abortion pro, pro-life pro church is as precious as those children that you're protesting for in the womb and should be treated with love and respect because of that. Is that what I'm hearing you think? It is. And I like it. it. It also means that we should stop step out of our skin for a moment, notice what's happening around, and not just feel that we're on the right side of the conflict, but to take confidence by seeing what it does to other people and and pat ourselves on the back, not, hey, we we got it right, but how privileged we are. If we know God, while so many others don't, then look what it's doing to them, how proud we can be of holding on to God's word. It's, it's important every now and then not to feel like we're behind the eight ball. When the Supreme Court uh, issued its decision on gay marriage, I thought at the time that the worst part of it, we're not going to get into the issue of gay marriage right now, but the worst part of it to me was the fact that the court refused to hear, even from the, from the amicus people who signed on, they would not entertain any arguments coming from religious circles even when presented sort of as, as just secular arguments. The fact that something comes from religion doesn't mean that there isn't reason and argument behind it. But they threw out all of that because they said, we can't entertain anything coming from religion. I knew at that point that America was really in trouble and that Christians had moved to the same position that Jews had for the last 2,000 years. Christians had become part of a cultural minority and no longer as American as uh, motherhood and apple pie, both of which are under fire, of course. Uh, <laughs> but when you fail to see how much of a contribution that religion made to America, made to the Western world, made the West the ascendant power of the progress of human civilization above those of other civilizations. We're not allowed to say that anymore, but I'm still saying it. When that happens, you become part of a cultural minority. So I... I spoke at the time telling Christian friends that, you know, it's terrible and it's quite something to wake up to with one morning and realize I'm no longer in the, in the majority, not culturally anymore. But that also gives you an opportunity to frame your arguments better, to realize that you're, if you want to hold on to your kids, certainly your neighbors and, and the rest of the country, you're going to have to not rest on your laurels and say, well, we're the majority here and you guys are just the minority. From this point on, you've got to be more exacting about what is it that we believe? How does it stand up? What others? And this should be our reaction to something like this. When you read this, and you just, <laughs> as disturbing as it is, it should help you feel, thank God, I'm not one of them. And it's not because I did something right now smarter than everybody else. It's that God privileged me to know him there but for the grace of God go I it's it it creates opportunity because there is a void you can't go down that road to being a thinking feeling sentient person for long before you realize your world worldview 
is a bit messed up, that there are inconsistencies and it leaves an emptiness inside of you that the, that it, it leads to death, it leads to destruction, it leads to mayhem, it leads to suffering. So that leaves opportunity for those of us who can say, wait a minute, look at the claims of the Bible. Look at what God has to say. Look at this and, and the worldview and how it lines up socially, scientifically, emotionally, relationally. Look at that and look at the grace of God, the mercy of God that's shed abroad that, that we can glean from. That gives hope. So we become uh, bearers of hope, which is what I would submit we have been called to be anyway in this world full of of sin and fallen uh, lives we are messengers of hope it's glorious so we do have hope in this as the world continues to turn as courts ignore marriage for example whatever you do as an adult in america you have more rights as an alternative lifestyle than anywhere else in the world truly it's well documented and yet that's not enough you've got to have a religious institution we might as well for the church say communion Uh, the church doesn't get to determine what communion is the state does so yes it's messed up but that isn't the focus of our conversation today our focus has been that there is hope and as the world continues to get uglier people start to realize this is ugly. This is broken. Where is the hope? You walk in that hope and you become light in the darkness. And that's what I hope this program has been for anyone who's listening or viewing or reading. And if you have heard this message of hope, like this, share this and continue to get that God story out there. Rabbi, I'd like to give you the final word. So one thing in particular from, from this uh, message from Jane's Revenge I think is something that we should double down on. And that's their assertion that the family is the unit of control by the evil church. And we have to stop, look at that and realize, no, (laughs) the family, they're right about how central the family is. But that means we have to become more committed to the idea of family, to know what what builds strong families, what is more likely down the line to make our kids succeed in marriage and to be committed. After study is if we need that, it's not enough just to accept it as God's word, which it is for me and for you. But the family was one of the real innovations of the Bible in biblical times, the centrality of the family, how families provide the cocoon for children to grow up safely in. And with all the problems and all the places where it can break down, it's still our best bet. So if you're out there and you have a family, look at them in a different way, smile at them differently, appreciate your spouse differently, even when they're not perfect, hug your kids, not as a platitude, but to recognize this is our contribution to to the continuity of human civilization. 
I love that in the midst of the chaos and uh, the choices that we made to allow sin into the world and we're living with the consequences, even within that, God created safety nets and ways that we can conduct our lives that lead to beauty and hope. And our family is a very big part of that. And thank you for being part of my extended family. This has been just another great opportunity to sit down and talk with you, Rabbi. God bless you. Thank you for joining me today. And thank you for being part of My Michelle Live. More news and views at MyMichelleLive.com.